morning, everybody. Yeah, we just uh, wanted to say that we are so glad that you're here. And let's take a second. If you guys will, let's stand up together. And um, let's just open up our hands to the Lord like this. Just a posture of, of receiving and, and exaltation of his name. And let's invite the presence of God. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, this is your house. And it's not your house until you fill it with your glory. We dedicate it to you. We give it to you. And we set apart this space and this time for your name only to be exalted. I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Minister, speak, deliver, and save. Do all of your works, Lord, we pray. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Podluck Sunday. I know you guys are, are well aware of that. We hope you, I know it's hard for first service because you might have to go find something to do for a little bit. Um, or you can come to second service. You can come to both services and just hang around. You have options. So but we hope you'll come back for the potluck either way. Um, I did want to just tag on a little bit to what Angela Pilcher shared a little bit about kids ministry. Um, one thing that's very important, and, and she was alluding to this, I think, a little bit too, what she mentioned about the deacons coming in and filling gaps and making sure things get done so the elders could do what they need to do. Um, you know, Angela serves in the kids' ministry, and she fills gaps, like she was saying. Um, but she, but she, so the last thing we want to happen is for her to also start to miss the prayer meetings. She needs that. Does that make sense to everybody? And, it's not, and she didn't put me up to this. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that it is, it's true. This is true. She needs times of refreshment herself. And we would love to see a day she doesn't have to fill gaps in the kids' ministry either. Um, because she's done that for a long time and done it cheerfully and willingly. And it just takes its many hands, right? Many hands make light work. And um, it, the kids are, are worth investing in. We believe that. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have kids in the kids' ministry, to really consider jumping in. If you, even, even if you don't, um, we've got an application process, but I'd encourage you to, if you've got it in your heart, once a month, once every six weeks, um, I, I think they would be just absolutely thrilled to have you serving back there. So did I get it right, Angela? Is that about, she gets the two thumbs up, all right. But um, we, do, we do, we have to watch out for our leaders, watch out for our workers. Everybody, everybody helps, nobody burns out. That's, that's the way that, that God's kingdom is designed to operate. And we try in this church to really make, to, want, to tend everyone's souls as we all move along. So that said, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for the, <laughs> for the life that we have. Thank you for the life that's ours in Christ Jesus because of the glory of your grace. And we don't take it for granted, Lord. We try not to. We look to you. We look at your face, Lord. Every day, Lord, we seek to know you more. Every day, Lord, we seek to, to, not, <laughs> to not forget the work of the cross, not to underestimate it, not to let it shrink in our hearts, Lord, but instead, Lord, to have the glory of it renewed every day by your grace. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would stir in us this morning. Just stir inside of us, Lord, everything that you need to stir by your Spirit. Put in us, Lord, the things that are not in us but need to be. Lord, we pray also that you would convict us and bring clarity to us. Strengthen us, Lord. Encourage us, Lord. Help us to find, um, to, I guess, to hear the voice of God and just as the scripture says, and those who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. And I pray that we would hear the voice of the Son of God speaking, Lord, even to dead bones inside of us. And I pray, God, that you would raise up from this church a great army, 
that you'd wrap flesh on it, breathe spirit and life into it, Lord, and, and, and send it out, God, to be the church in this world. We mean that. We pray it. We ask it. And we pray it would be a work of your grace, marked by your spirit, Lord, and, and that you would be the one ultimately who makes impossible things possible. So we ask that your work would be done here in Jesus' name. Amen. So in consecration, we're talking about, in the church, and talking about consecration, I, this little graphic my wife made, you could see just this, the dividing of the road. And in so many ways, consecration, um, God brings us to a point where he says, it's just time it's time to choose. Choose for choose, you know, choose you this day, you know, whom you will serve. And he brings us to that point. And for the and for the longest time, many of us, I was certainly one before I before I came to Christ at 15 fully. I, I had prayed a sinner's prayer at a younger age. There had been a change in my life, but I got far away from God, at least in my heart. And my, I think my body was just waiting to follow. And but God got a hold of me and brought me to a crossroads like this and showed me there was no, there was no path forward for me in terms of choose, I could, if I was going to go my own way, it was the path to destruction. But he brings us to a place in our faith where he says, are you going to, you've given me, you've, you've given, I, I bought all of you at the cross. You've given me 40% of your heart. And you've been at 40% for five years. So what do you, so isn't it time, isn't it time, as the scripture says, to break up your unplowed ground? To begin to seek the Lord until he comes, until he rains righteousness upon you. And that's what consecration really is. It's, it's him calling us to walk more closely with him. It's him opening up the, our eyes to see that there are places, rooms, whole rooms in our heart that, we, that the doors are locked and we are holding the keys back. And the Lord comes along and he knocks. You know, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And what does he say? If any man opens unto me, he's not going to kick the door in. He doesn't have a battering ram. He stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, if you open, then I'll come in and dine with you and you will dine with me. And that is something that he extends to us continuously. This, the scripture where Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That's not once. That's every day. And, and it's, but there are seasons of life where you come to him in a whole new way. You know, you come and you deal with, we deal with everything that he puts light on. And then he gives grace for everything that he, where he brings conviction, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, that's wrong in your life, now fix it. And then he disappears, vanishes into the mist. We do that sometimes with people. Get better and come back and we'll talk when you're better. But he doesn't do that. He says, he says, this is broken in your life, but let's fix it together. And by the way, you can't do many of the things that have to happen. So you're going to need me. So let's do it together. You cooperate and I'll bring power. I'll bring supernatural power and grace. And so he begins to change us. And then we begin, as things begin to change and we grow and we're making some ground and our character is changing, we're a new person in Christ. Then suddenly we're saying, Man, this is good. Isn't it great? I'm walking with God and life is happy and everything is at peace. And then more revelation. But we're not finished. Because I want you to be like me. I want you to be just like me. And I want you to be completely like me. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, he said the student's not greater than the teacher. He said, 
But when you have been fully trained, you will be like your teacher. And isn't that good to know? You'll never be better than him, but you'll be an awful lot like him because he's the one that's training you. And so consecration is simply agreement to go through the process. I agree. And by the way, I surrender (laughs) because I've been holding some things that I didn't want to let them go, but I'm letting them go. And uh, I've been reading in James. Actually, I was reading. I'm still in Psalms. I'm a slow Bible reader. I, I preached on Psalm 23, like what was that, three months ago? I'm still in Psalms, but I read it, and I read it again, and I read it meditatively, and I make little notes, and I, you know, because I want to take it, I want to, I want to feast on it, you know what I mean? I want my spirit to, to, to take it in, and so uh, I'm still in Psalms. I was reading in Psalms, and then God just started prompting me and just turning my heart toward a passage in James, and just kept pulling me over there, and I started in my head, I'm going, where are those words, these words that keep, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I'm trying to read. It's like, would you just please just get, we're on the same team, just, you know, James. So I move over to James and I start reading and reading in James three and four. I read it and it was just, and I was just like, there is so much here. So I read it again and I read it again and I read it again. And then I, then I was done with my Bible study for that day. And I came back the next day and I tried to go back to Psalms. It was like James. So I go back to James, and I read it again. I read it again. And I was just kind of living there for several days in James 3 and 4. Because I started to see, God was just showing me, there's, some, there's something in this. And I'm calling this, this will be a message in two parts, two fountains. First part is the tongue and the heart. The, the two fountains are the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. These are all in this passage, James 3 and James 4. And so what, I'm, what we're going to see together is that you, you, can, you can drink from one fountain or the other fountain, or you can drink from both fountains, but only one fountain will bring you life. And the other two have tragic consequences, the other two possibilities, drinking from the wrong fountain or drinking from both fountains. And the effects are directly on our heart. And our heart has a direct effect on our tongues, what comes out of our mouths. And our tongues, the way we speak, the things that we say, the Bible says, they are the rudder of the ship that steers your entire life. And so it matters. It matters so much that we drink from the fountain of the waters of life. We're going to go deeply into the two kinds of wisdom next week. For for today, we're going to deal with the tongue and the heart. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. Luke is funny because he talks about the goodness of the heart. He will actually quote Jesus talking about the goodness of the heart in a couple of places. And, for, and if you're a person who studies the Bible and thinks deeply about theology, when you hear somebody say good heart, there's, a, there's, a, there's an alarm that goes off for you. Anybody have that alarm going off because of, because of uh, Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is wicked, deceitful above all else. Who can know it? And desperately sick, who can know it? And God says, I, the Lord, test the mind and know the heart. So, but he talks about, so, so let me just, let me, I want to pull you out of that for a second because I want you to see Jesus is talking about like good, like in the same sense that you and I say, like, he's a good guy. No, no, he's a good guy. Do you know what I mean? 
It's not a theological statement about the condition of the human heart. But he's saying, there are things that are good that you can put in your heart and they'll bear good fruit in your life. And there are things that are evil. And many of them are cloaked as good things that you can put into your heart and they'll bear out evil fruit, negative, nasty, ugly things, bad fruit. So the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. I want to share with you something that I learned the hard way. The hard way because I... Because I remember when I learned it, and I, wasn't pay, I didn't pay attention to something I should have paid attention to, but this is what I learned. When a man suddenly speaks something that seems out of character, it may actually be the revelation of his character. A person that you say, you know, suddenly says something, and you're like, whoa, that's not like them. What's happened that you cannot see is that the heart has begun to fill with something else. And it fills, and it fills, and it fills until they can no longer hide it anymore. And one day somebody bumps the glass, and whatever's in the glass spills out. And what spills out is actually a revelation of what's going on in the heart. And what I learned was never ignore those one-off moments. You think it's a one-off, and what is actually happening is, one, it could be a cry for help. Two, it could be a revelation that sin has taken hold of the heart, but the, and the person is backsliding. All you've known is that they've been a good person or a Christian, somebody who walked, or walked with God or followed him, but something just came out of their life, and you're going, whoa. And if you can catch it the first time it spills out and begin to ask some really good questions and get some honest responses, you might be able to save a soul from death. You might be able to snatch someone who's playing with fire. You might be able to snatch them out of the fire. You might be able to help somebody. And that's on, so that's on the negative side, but I want to say this too. Jesus started with the positive. He said, out of the good man, out of the good that fills up his heart. So you might have somebody you've been working with who their life has been bearing a lot of bad fruit. Then one day, some of that good that you've been pouring into them spills out of their mouth. And that's one of the glorious moments. It's one of the greatest moments. What about this, parents in parenting? When one day you see your own child's heart start to change. You see it start to turn, and out of their mouth comes something that is good, and it's, and it's, but it's a shift. And what do parents do? I think a lot of us do this. We go, I'm not touching that. I don't want to say a word. If that's real, if that's real I'm just going to leave it alone because that's from God. I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're just afraid to touch it because you want, you're hoping there to be more of it, and you're kind of afraid that if you say that's good, they'll go, oh, my parents like it. It's dumb. But what the heart is full of eventually spills out of the mouth. And he may be a man in transition, bad to good or good to bad. So don't ignore, don't ignore it, you know? And you can give glory to God for the good that's starting to come out of a life even before the life is fully changed. And you can also, with wisdom, begin to help somebody who evil has started to spill out a little bit. 
before their life descends completely into darkness. So we can learn a lot by paying attention. But the heart, which you could also use the term the soul, which is generally defined as the mind, the will, and the emotions, is constantly being filled by one of two fountains. And this is God's wisdom, fountain one, or the wisdom of this world. And if you and I um, understand who, who the Bible calls the, the king or the prince of this world, it's Satan. So to drink from the fountain of the, of, of the wisdom of this world is actually going to mean drinking from the kingdom of darkness, from that which comes from the kingdom of darkness. And James says that. We'll see that next week. He says the wisdom from this world is earthly, demonic. And the, demonic is a strong word. But if you're talking about origins, where it actually comes from, the thing is, by the time it gets to you, it's all, it's all, it's all manufactured to look like candy. So demonic and candy, you know what I mean? It's hard for people to draw those lines together. But if you track it, you'll see. You'll see that that's exactly what it is. But God's wisdom has to be sought out. The wisdom of the world is everywhere. If you are a casual, if you are casual about the way that you, that you operate in this world, you'll take in a ton of the wisdom of the world. I'll just turn on the TV and just let it play while I'm cooking dinner or what. It's like, what? Just whatever comes on is, good, is fine? Just turn on the radio and just whatever, just anything that comes on? Just listen to it? You know what I mean? Or, and that's, that's the casual approach, you know what I mean? Well, I don't, you know, I just kind of sit around in the break room at work and listen to the conversations, all the conversations. You can interject some good into some of them. Some of them you really don't need to hear at all. But the point is, how intentional are you about what you take in? Are you guarded? Are you guarded? You know, well, I don't want to be treated like that Christian who doesn't want to associate with anybody. Well, I'm not saying don't associate with anybody. But Jesus said, your life is a proactive life. You bring salt and apply it. You bring light and you shine it. You bring truth and you speak it. When people are in trouble, you stop what you're doing and you pray. I'm not saying disengage. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying exactly the opposite. But I'm saying, don't sit there and passively absorb. Because you just, you just there are many things you do not want to take into your life through your eyes, through your ears. Books you should never read. You know, books are getting a pass these days because people are like, well, at least they're reading. They could be watching TV or playing video games. It's like, yeah, but books, the books, are, books are a source. It's a fountain. What's feeding the author when they wrote the book? Because that's what your child's going to feed on. That's what you're going to feed on. Audio book, I'm just listening to an audio book. Well, what's the spirit behind it? Do you test the spirit of everything and, and keep what's good and throw out what's bad? I'm just asking questions. And I hope we can answer those ourselves. Let's go to James chapter 3. <clears throat> He's talking about the tongue. So he starts with the tongue. If I were to look at this like in three blocks, he starts with the tongue. Then he talks about the two fountains, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And then he talks about the heart. And so... He kind of starts on the surface. The tongue is what's manifesting, what's coming out of your mouth. 
And then he goes to the center point, which is the two kinds of wisdom, which is that core of like what's feeding everything. And then he goes to the heart, which is the root. And so in James chapter 3, we'll just pick up in verse 4. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. So let's pause for a second. So he's focusing centrally right now on the tongue when it is used as an instrument of sin. He's talking about the tongue when it is used as an instrument of boasting. He names boasting specifically. And he says, your tongue, you consider it's a very small part of your body, but it can utter tremendously, tremendous things, can't it? It can say anything that you can think of. Your tongue can say it. And so your tongue can have a tremendous impact on what direction your life takes because all of a sudden you just, you, you know, you see this happen in people's lives where they say something and that's it. End of their career, end of their marriage, end of their life in some sense or not, just the life that they've known anyway. Life-changing events that come simply from a moment where you, they say, well, I just let my guard down. No, all, no, what you did was you stopped holding back the dam. Because you've been filling up your heart with this stuff. So don't be so they get on there and do this and do this in, right in politics. They get on TV and apologize. Yeah, but your character got revealed. Like that's what happened. Your character got revealed. You couldn't hold back the dam anymore, but that's the well you drink from. Good people. Drink, on, drink good things, and good things come out of them. That's what Jesus said. Evil people take in evil. And the evil eventually builds up so much they can't keep, on, keep up the pretense anymore. So the evil starts to come out. Now, when people repent, we forgive. That's the nature of the church. That's what we do. I'm not saying use it as, an, as a way to, to pass judgment on people. But what I am saying is, in your own life, take, take stock of what you put in your heart. And watch what comes out of your mouth. Watch what you're tempted. Watch the things you're having to stop yourself from saying. Because they're pushing at the tongue, at the gate of your tongue. They're pushing up against the gate, trying to get out. Why are they in your heart? See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. That forest is your life, lives of people, lives of people in your life that you care about. And that spark can set a whole forest aflame. And the tongue, so you don't miss the point, <laughs> he brings it home for us. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among the members as that, the members of the body, as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Man, I wish this guy would quit mincing words, don't you? James, James is, a, is a highly controversial book because he pushes way to one side on, on most of the issues that he's bringing up because he's, he's acting like a physician who's a, with a scalpel who needs to remove cancer cells. That's, what he's, that's the way he's operating. So he, go, he pushes way to one side and people go, well, hold up, there's more to that story. You know, don't you need, you need to bring a balanced word, Brother James. He's like, no, 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 I'm dealing with cancer. We don't take a balanced approach. We go for it, and we cut it out, and we don't leave anything. And so he's working on a church that's broken. 
So he comes through as a very hard on, these, on this church, these churches that he's writing to. But he's saying right here, your tongue has some help from the very fires of hell. So why do I have bad things in me that want to get out? One, I've got a nature of sin. And two, the devil is in, is, is in full cooperation and manipulates your nature of sin to persuade you to do evil. This is why it's so important that the scripture says God is greater than our hearts. This is why it's so important that the scripture says that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Because this is God's way of saying, you don't have to lose that battle. But do understand that the enemy has a plan and is powerful. Do understand that. And know that he's going to try to twist and turn your heart in any direction he wants it to go. And many of those things will manifest out of your mouth, and it will cause a forest fire in your life. He says, for every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles, creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one has quite yet mastered the tongue. Isn't this true? That there's the tremendous struggle to, to, to master and tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both, both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? So he doesn't have a very high opinion of man in his own power taking control and doing good with his tongue. He does not have a very high opinion of man in his own capacity to do that. And he's saying, should it be that if the spirit of God is within you, that the fountain that produces evil is flowing out of your mouth? And sometimes you're at church, you sing and you worship God and you say, good afternoon, brother. So good to see you. Hey, could I just pray for you? And then go out of the church and go hang out with some other people or do something else or whatever and act totally different and curse and, and, draw, and draw down, you know, <laughs> all, that, all the evil and all these other things come out of your mouth, the things that have nothing to do with God or couldn't, could never in any way honor him. Should you live a double life? He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be. Should not be. So the answer in nature to his question, does a fountain send out the same, from the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? The answer in nature is no, at least not usually. But the answer in human nature is painfully, yes, at times, both things come from me. So I want you to know, because we're going to get into this over this week and next week, try to be here for both messages, because I'm going to leave you hanging today. <laughs> but he's giving us the cure this is what I want you to know. He's saying it doesn't have to be. And he's going to give us the cure. And I'm not going to leave you fully hanging. I, I can't do that. So an unconsecrated life, maybe you've heard this term before, is brackish. Brackish is the word for salt and fresh water mixing. And brackish water is just a breeding ground for bacteria and nastiness and every kind of you know, slime. It's not useful for anything. So because it's a steady mix of bitter and fresh, it can never bring refreshment to anyone. And so this is what I'm saying about an unconsecrated life. A little of this, a little of that. I'm drinking from both wells. 
I fill up my heart with a little of the wisdom of man, a little of the wisdom of God. And at the end of the day, a little of each kind of spills out. Brackish. Cannot bring refreshment. So God is calling us to come to one well, to choose day in and day out, to choose him over and over again. My people, God said in Jeremiah, through Jeremiah, to his people, my people have traded in the fountain of living water and they have hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. They, how could you say, you say, well, what's the, what's the fountain like in your town? Oh, it's a fountain of living water. Living water is a word that means flowing water, fresh water, constantly refreshing. It's always fresh. It's not stagnant. We've got a great well, fresh and living water. And then you give it up and you go take a cracked pot and fill it up with the wisdom of the world and whatever it is, and it's just draining out. The idea is, how could you walk away from the fountain of living water? You had everything you could ever need. And yet, that's the appeal that the world, the flesh, and the devil press in on you to lure you away from all that is good and right, to put you in a place that you don't belong, doing things you were never made by God or called by God to do, and in trouble. That's the lure. That's the allure of the kingdom of darkness as it tries to pull us away from God. So we have to watch the heart. So Paul gives sort of a description of this in Romans chapter 7, the mixed, the mixing of our nature, the new nature and the old nature. And he says in Romans 7, 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Have you found that to be true? You can answer that to yourself, but it's, a, it's an important question to answer. I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Do you hear that? So there's something in you. It, you know, don't, we don't ever want to minimize the new life. There is something in you, and it's the Spirit of God himself. And he hears the law of God, and he joyfully concurs. Yes, that's the right thing. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And he, asks, and he says this, asks this question just in desperation, desperation, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? He's basically saying, who could live like this? I, he's saying, I can't live like this. I can't live with two natures tugging at each other all the time. And then he answers the question in, with this glorious statement. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. So he says the struggle is real and the struggle goes on. But I have an advocate through Jesus Christ. I have a helper with God. And this battle is not over. And if you understand how Romans works, Romans is progressive. Romans 6, 7, 8 progress through the process until he shows what the, vic the victory life in the latter part of Romans. And he's right here, he's in the midsection where he's just trying to make, he's manifesting what the struggle is like. So I want to say this to you. The tragic shortcoming of the old covenant, 
was that it set apart a people for God, but left their lives brackish, conflicted and powerless to carry out his word. That was the old covenant. Could never bring about the righteousness of God because of our shortcomings. But the glory of the new covenant is that by Jesus' death and resurrection, God bought a people for himself and gave them power to be victorious in the fight against sin. So I want, to, so I want, to, I want if you haven't settled that in your heart, I want you to settle that in your heart, that it's not just Israel warmed over. That's not what the church is. The church is a whole new creature. Nothing like the church has ever existed in the world. And you, as a member of the church, nothing like you, you're new. You're altogether new. You're something that's never been. You're not, you're not you plus a few good habits. You're a whole new creature with a whole new nature, and you have a helper who's going to help you every moment. But what you feed is what will prevail in your life. And that's an almost un- in- inexchangeable, unexpendable. There's a word for that inexplicable. <laughs> no, that's a, it's a law. That's what I was getting at. It's one of, it's a, it's one of the laws of God that, that what you feed will grow strong and prevail in your life. So the worst tragedy of all would be this, that God's church, glorious redeem, gloriously redeemed through Jesus, would live like Israel, defeated, unfaithful, and in bondage to sin. So this is what James is writing. This is why he's writing, because The people have come through to a full salvation and fallen back to a lower level of existence and life. So James, like a master physician, (laughs) he cures, he brings the cure to her ailment and he deals with the problem at its source, which is the heart. And he does this at the beginning of James chapter four. James chapter four and verse one, he says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, this is an interesting passage, right? I think he just accused them of committing murder. Did anybody else see that? Now, Jesus did say in one place, he said, if you hate your brother in your heart, He said, then you are guilty of murder. So maybe he's referencing that. Or maybe somebody lusted and couldn't get what they wanted, so they killed somebody. And I don't want to say that, you know, it's like, oh, come on, these are Christians. I don't know. He just, he wrote it. And he said, he said, it's this bad. His point is to say, it's really this bad. But look at what he, so he goes right into their hearts and he points at this and he says, why are you guys fighting? Really, what are you quarrel- why are you quarreling? What's the source of your conflicts? Have you stopped to consider what it is? It's because God is blocking your goals because your goals are not righteous. You lust and do not have. Well, why, why do you not have? Because what you're lusting for is not yours. It's not been given to you by God. He would never give it to you. You know, he says at the end there, you do not have because you do not ask. Why didn't you ask? Because you can't ask God for things you know he doesn't want you to have. Isn't that right? You're not going to pray for it. Because if you're going to go to God and say, yeah, I know you said do not covet, you know, what belongs to my neighbor, but like he's got a really nice car. Could you give me my neighbor's car? 
You're not going to ask God for that. Why? Because it's entirely selfish and covetous. It's not right. He's never going to give it to you. So you don't ask. So you get frustrated. So you kill your neighbor and take his car. Don't do that, by the way. But you hear about these kinds of things, crimes of passion. Like that's a justification, right? But it's you lust, you do not have, so you kill somebody and take what you want. And that's what the human nature is capable of. And he's saying, at least, this is the course that their hearts were on. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Anybody else find that? Scary, yeah. He says, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And this is the reality. And just thank God for this. God keeps us from getting what we want when our desires would destroy us. So ask yourself, why did you not ask God for it? And the answer to the question is because you thought you knew the answer. You didn't pray because you thought you knew the answer. Maybe you were right. But it's all about what's going on in the heart. But you've got to get ahead of all this. Why do I want things God doesn't want me to have? And the answer is I'm drinking from the wrong well. And if you can understand this, you're feeding on things that are feeding wrong desires. We'll get into it next week. I'm eager for next week. Because I think next week's going to be illuminating for all of us. Um, but if you feed on the wrong thing, it feeds desires that are not right, and those desires will grow. And then you'll find yourself wanting things. I remember having a conversation with a guy when I was in college. We sat next to each other in the computer lab. And uh, he, I was talking to him about, you know, you know, you know, waiting to have sex before you're married, just as a Christian. And he was not a Christian, but we were comparing. He, was, he, was, he considered himself a philosophical thinker. So we're just talking and comparing philosophy of life and, and morals and all this. And he said, you see, I'm, he said, I just never, I could never go for that. And I said, well, why not? And I knew why not. But you, if you're alive, you know why not. Because it's not according to the flesh. It's not according to nature. To deny yourself something you want because God said so, and it's best. But you know, if, you live, if you don't live under God's law, you have no context for that. So, so he, he, said, he said, he tells me about this two or three month fling he had with this girl in Europe. And he says, and then he came back to the States, and for whatever reason, they never talked again. And I, he's saying this is a good thing, by the way. And he says, you're going to tell me that wasn't love? <laughs> and I'm over here going... You, I mean, yes. I mean, yeah, no. Not, I mean, not. I mean, you know, you don't, so you, it's like you don't even know where to begin because, because what, you know, why do you want, why would you, how can you, anyway, I'm, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss for words, but, his, but his, his whole point was, I could never go for the way that, Christian, that Christianity dictates morality because I can't have what I want when I want it. And, and because my feelings are so strong, that makes it justifiable because it's love. And so that's living in the flesh. That's life in the flesh. If it makes me feel good, if it gives me exciting emotions or thoughts or whatever, then that makes it justifiable because then I'm getting happiness by getting what I want. And it's the way, it's the way that children are wired. If you've raised kids or have kids, you understand that We're, we come from the womb wired that way. And so the nature has to be changed but my point is, if you drink from the wrong well as a Christian, you will go back to living a life in the flesh. You'll start to want things you shouldn't want. 
you'll, and you'll start to say, well, yeah, but it just seems so right. You know what I mean? And that's when like, we're way down the line, like you're about to do something. You're about to cross the point of no return. And so your heart has to be in check. And we've got to walk in the, in the ways of God and, and, and immediately cut off everything that's feeding that and go back to the things that are from the well that belongs to God. In James 4.3, says, You ask and do not receive. So when they do pray for certain things, they don't get them. And he tells them why. Because you ask with wrong motives, the motivation of the heart. Why did you want what you wanted? And he tells them, because you asked for it because you wanted to spend it on your own pleasure. He said, God's just not going to honor that. And then, in a desire to calm them down and sort of pull them back from the brink and to say something uh, politically correct, he says, you adulteresses, you do not know, I was a little bit of whatever you call it, sarcasm or something, but do, you do not know that friendship with the, or do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? He's bringing this home for them. Notice he says adulteresses. He doesn't say adulterers and adulteresses. He says adulteresses. And he's not just addressing the women, by the way. He's saying, you all, the bride of Christ, are giving away the covenant with the fountain of living waters with the, with the bridegroom who saved you. You all, bride of Christ, are drinking from the other well. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes him an enemy of God. And see, friendship is an appropriate word because friendship is how all of this begins. You simply make friends with something that God says is not okay. That's where all of this begins. It's friendship. It's not, it's not this blatant, overt rebellion at first. It's just, I let it into my house. I let it into my life. I let it in through my eyes. I let it in through my ears. And I tell myself, there's some re- it has some good qualities. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. And this, I, I've, I've gone back to that one because the, the, and looked it up in the Greek because the translation there, for, in my translation, is just not adequate. If you, if you translate it literally, this is what it says in verse 5. Do you think the spirit, the scripture says to no purpose? The spirit he has caused to dwell in us, to dwell within us, lusts with envy. And I think they don't translate it that way. Could you put that up for me? Thank you. The spirit he has caused to dwell within us, lusts with envy. What that means is our God is a jealous God, a consuming fire. But I don't think they like to translate it that way because lust and envy are negative things. Every other place you find them in the Bible. So they don't want to say the spirit lusts with envy, but the point is he is so eager for, to have all your heart. He's not going to share you with anybody. So you make friends with the world and say, here, meet this person. They're going to start staying at our house. And he says, not in my house, whose house we are, it says in Hebrews, if we hold fast to the, to the, to the, with firmness to the beliefs that we had at the first. He says, you are his house. And you try to bring somebody else to come in to live in the house. And there's something wrong going on there. He says, that's not a friend, that's an enemy. You made friends with it and you made yourself an enemy of God. Christians, we do this. We do this if we're not careful. Our God is a jealous God, a consuming fire. 
God is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And the world is the other man that the unfaithful bride is pursuing. I got to give you some good news. Are you ready for some good news? Stuff's heavy, but it's the Bible. I didn't write it. I'm telling you, if you want the keys, and I've been talking to Scott about this a little bit too, it's like God will give you the keys. If you want out of a prison cell, God will give you the keys. And if you, and if you want to know, I mean, so, so, so the Bible goes to great lengths to give people the keys. But you've got to be willing to deal with the stuff that it makes you deal with to get the keys. The keys aren't cheap. They're certainly not free. They were bought at the cross, but you lay hold of them through faith and by exercising the things that are taught here. So, but if you want the keys, you can have the keys. Listen to what he says. He gives, verse 6, a greater grace. And I think we all should say, hallelujah. Praise God. You're not condemned to this. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why does he say that right there? Because he's giving you the keys to how grace works. If you humble your heart, you'll, you'll receive grace and you won't even have to ask. But if you're asking for grace and you won't humble yourself, you're going to be waiting for a good long while because he will simply not give it if you won't humble yourself. But as soon as you do, the barriers are broken down and it comes flooding into your life because he gives a greater grace. It's super abundant. So he tells them how to do that. Verse 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Do you believe that? When you repent, do you believe that he accepts you and forgives you? Do you believe that he, he doesn't give you a seat in the corner? He calls you to come back to the table. And you sit at the king's table, a child of God, clothed in his righteousness, no less. Every time. And the only reason that you weren't at the table was because you left the table to pursue your own interests. He didn't kick you out. You went away because you, you heard that the water that you could get from the well outside the city was better than the wine he was pouring into your cup. That's what you believed. So that's why you weren't at the table. When you repent, he clothes you in his righteousness and seats you at the table and says, try to remember this for next time. The grace he gives is so tremendous. And there's mercy in there too, quite a lot. So he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He just, again, I can't help it, it's just this guy, okay? He's just going after it. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. His whole point is, go ahead and humble yourself, even if it's miserable. And in fact, a little misery would do you some good. Because you've been very arrogant in the way that you've been living against the Lord. Telling everybody this is a good thing while you sin against God. He says, oh no, you need to let your joy turn into gloom. Because as soon as it does, you'll be back on the track to restoration. Humble yourself, yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He's not going to leave you in that humiliated state. He's going to pull you out. And like I said, he's going to put you right back in your place at his table. So what is this exaltation? It's a life with a God that's near. A life with clean hands and a pure heart and a life with a single-minded devotion. That's what he's going to lift you out of that mess into. 
clean hands, a pure heart, single-minded devotion. That's what he wants to do in your heart. There's still a little salt water in there, but it's mostly fresh now because you've chosen to drink from his well instead of from the well of the wisdom of the world. The miracle of our redemption through Christ is that he has provided the cure for our double-tongued, divided heart nature. He won the victory, and it is ours if we will only walk in it. Let's stand up to our feet. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And what does this say? And you, let's say this together, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Did you see that? God is giving us these words, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Did he say the flesh no longer has desire? No. He simply said, you won't go there. You won't walk in it if you walk by the Spirit. Galatians 6.8 says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And that's not heaven someday. That's an eternal life living in you right now. And that eternal life, the very life of God, is that thing that preserves us, keeps us from sin, even, in, even destroys the nature and the desire of sin as we walk with him. This is what Jesus has done for us. And he's calling us into a cooperation where we can see a victory. Not be victims, but to see a victory for the glory of his name. Lord, we thank you for doing everything, that you've done it all. And I pray now that you would give us, Lord, the grace, oh God, the grace, Lord, to walk in these things. Lord, I pray that you'd show us what's your wisdom and what is the wisdom of the world. Show us the sources, God. Even as we look at this next week, I pray, but even through this week, I pray you'd be preparing our hearts to see and to understand And I pray, Lord, that fresh water, the waters of life, living water by the Holy Spirit would just be flowing through us like a river. I pray, God, for anyone who is caught right now in a snare, whose foot is in a trap, and they just say, I want to walk away, but I can't. God, I pray in Jesus' name you'd give them a victory by your power through your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would show them that you are the one who opens the trap and you are the one who sets us free. And I pray, O God, that when you set us free, we'd walk free. We'd walk away, Lord, and not go back to the same thing. But we trust you. And I pray for a purification of us as a people. Lord, a consecration, a dedication. And God, that you would receive the offering and that you would send the glory from heaven, Lord, as a sign that you receive the offerings of your people. Send the fire. Send the fire, God, into your church. Let it rest upon us. Let it purify us, Lord, and let it prepare us for every good work. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.